The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm talking with Barry and Maya Spector. Maya is a poet, storyteller, ritualist, retired children's librarian, and trained soul collage facilitator. She's the author of a book of poetry, The Persephone Cycle, and has been published in a number of poetry anthologies. Maya's performed in Great Night of Rumi, Great Night of Soul Poetry, and Rumi's Caravan Events in the San Francisco Bay Area. She blogs at hangingoutwithhecate.blogspot.com. Barry's the author of Madness at the Gates of the City, The Myth of American Innocence, winner of the 2011 Penn Oakland Literary Award. Barry's lectured at several Bay Area graduate schools and Osher Lifelong Learning Coaches. His book's website is madnessatthegates.com, and he blogs regularly at madnessatthegates.wordpress.com. His writing looks at contemporary cultural and political events from the perspectives of mythology, archetypal psychology, and indigenous wisdom traditions. He serves on the planning committee of the Redwood Men's Center and performs regularly as part of Rumi's caravan. Maya and Barry together have been leading grief rituals for over 15 years, and their website is barryandmayaspector.com. Welcome, Maya and Barry. Thank you, Cheryl. Cheryl. Nice to have you here today. Um, Especially, I think it's so uh, obviously... Um, you two have so much in common in terms of perspective and also reading your books. I'm so aware of the different ways that comes out in the two of you. Um, so I'm really interested to talk about that, you know, um, our individuality in terms of how we, how we create and what we make of things in the world. So I'm sure we'll, we'll spend some time with that. But I thought I'd like to start giving each of you just a chance to, to talk a little bit more deeply about your work, I, I sort of just read the headlines, you know, <laughs> we all know the headlines now, but what's your perspective on what you do and, and um, you know, how does, it, how does it continue to hold your attention? Would you like to take a, take a shot at that, Maya, to start out with? Sure. Well, uh, both Barry and I are very fortunate in that our, our interests are similar and um, we have been using our interest in mythology and in the oral tradition to um, to deepen our own lives and also to um, work in community. We have uh, several oral tradition salons at our home a couple of times a year where people 
share poetry and stories learned by heart. And we've taken, um, together we've taken this into, as you were saying, a grief ritual that we've been doing for quite a long time together. And I just feel very fortunate to have a partner whose interests are so along the same lines as mine, although we go in different directions with it. I tend to go more into writing poetry and Barry more into writing nonfiction and prose. Yes, and and um, those are two such different forms, but I just did notice encountering your books, your book of poetry and and Barry, your book of prose, how... Oh. how um, how well the ideas or or um, underpinnings of belief coordinated, though the forms were so so radically different. Do you want to talk to Barry some about your uh, how your work is for you? Sure. Uh, well, I think what we're both trying to do, and we're fortunate to have a lot of uh, friends in the Bay Area who share our interests is uh, we're really trying to bring soul back into the world and uh, in a world that is, that, uh, you know, as Joseph Campbell said, if you want to know what a demythologized world is about, just, just read the front, head, the front page of the New York Times. Uh, we're, we're trying to, to use language that is, uh, that is soulful and poetic when we can, and uh, even when I, when I write nonfiction, I like to think that I'm, Talking about big ideas in uh, in plain English uh, that anybody can relate to. So, uh, yeah, I've spent a, a long time uh, uh, trying to look at American society and history and politics uh, through this, uh, as you said, uh, archetypal psychology and through through the lens of mythology. And we can spend time talking uh, in more in detail about my book uh, through the hour if you feel like it. Absolutely. But I think what my I think what Maya and I are both interested in now is that uh, we're approaching the time of the year and uh, uh, this is the time of the year when uh, when we all turn naturally uh, to more uh, more grave issues and uh, and uh, and we'll be uh, we're working hard at, uh, at uh, producing our next event, which will be our, our annual Day of the Dead ritual. Um, I want to get to that, but I think I think before I do, I want to have you amplify one of the things you said, uh, demythologized. For listeners who might not necessarily know what you mean by that, um, sure, I, I could you could you uh, share with us? Either one or both of you, uh, what give us some context for demythologized culture? Well, I'll go first, um, and, and I take this, as I said, from uh, from Joseph Campbell. Uh, if, if we if we look at uh, uh, ancient cultures and the few uh, indigenous cultures that are still flourishing. Uh, in, in places in the third world, uh, in Africa and in Asia and in, and in South America, uh, we're, t- we're talking about a world in which uh, stories, uh, the stories that people told themselves and tell themselves about themselves, the mythologies uh, that they created over, over long periods of time, uh, are, were, are still working and still holding the culture together, and they provided uh, ways for people to connect uh, 
to the natural cycles of nature and to the uh, and to the cosmic cycles and, and ways in which they could bring up the young and um, and and rituals that could uh, connect uh, the young uh, uh, to to uh, uh, the elders and uh, and initiate the young. So, uh, but this has been long lost uh, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years in, in Western culture, and. Um, so uh, when, when Campbell was talking about a demythologized world, that, that's what he meant. And a dem- in, in a demythologized world, it doesn't mean that we that we no longer have myths. It, it's what it means is that the myths that we do have and that we're generally unconscious of no longer feed us. They no longer nurture us. Mm. And uh, and so we 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 have a literalized view of the world with with fundamentalist religion and constant violence and uh, addiction and the consumer culture that we're, that we're all so fed up with. Mm. Maya, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Well, I, I think to put it very simply, I mean, Barry said it, said it a little bit at the end, um, I think so many of us have been searching for both the sense of community and um that feeling of connection to something greater than ourselves and living in a culture that is so dominated by greed and consumerism, it's hard to find meaning outside of, say, family or, um, you know, some people are still attached to the religions that they were brought up with, but many of us have lost any feeling for those traditions as having real meaning for us. Mm-hmm. And so um, what we are looking to do is to, as Barry said, um, bring soul back into the world and into our lives by finding connections through, um, through the imagery of poetry, of story, of art, and in being in community. And that... Um, I think there's such a great hunger for it in so many people's lives and um and then certainly in my own and that's why I um, do the kinds of work that I do in order to try to bring that together for myself and for the people around me. That leads us sort of naturally to the the upcoming um ritual that that I I take it you've done for about fifteen years the Day of the Dead um, Dia de los Muertos um, ritual is that a, about right? Yeah, I think actually it's been more than fifteen years that we've been doing it. It's it's been quite a long time now, and although we call it a Day of the Dead ritual, it isn't necessarily based on um, the Mexican Day of the Dead traditions that that people, especially in the Bay Area, would be very familiar with. But it comes at that time of year, which in so many cultures, um, it's said that the veil between the worlds is thinner. We're closer to the ancestors at this time of year. It's certainly true in Celtic cultures and, um, and of course, in the Mexican and Central American uh, traditions of Day of the Dead. But where I... Um, interest in this started was many, many years ago. We uh, were working with some West African teachers, uh, shamans, actually, you could call them, Maladoma and Sabansu Sume. 
um, who have brought some traditions from West Africa to um, to us here. And what Maladoma said when he first came to this country, which I have always found very fascinating, he he's someone who was uh, initiated into his culture in Burkina Faso, but he's also highly educated with several advanced degrees and prestigious universities in both France and the States. So he, he kind of travels between cultures. Uh-huh. And what he, what he has said to, um, which I find so fascinating, is that when he first came to this country, he felt that people had, um, it was as though they had ghosts all around them, that 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 in this um, society we live in, we don't know how to mourn our dead, we don't know how to let go of all of the burdens of grief and loss that we carry, and he could almost literally see that around people, and so he began to teach us um, a, a ritual kind of format in order to give us the opportunity to be in a safe and contained and held space in community to express um, some of what we are carrying in the way of grief. And we find that people um, who have come to this event over the years come from different, many different places. Some have had a very fresh loss, and so they're carrying that grief, and other people are just simply carrying the grief for the state of things in the world. Um, I mean, we can all resonate with all of the things that we have been living with lately, the drought in California, the terrible fires we've had, the environmental degradation, the, the, the amount of shootings of um, in schools and of unarmed people of color. I mean, there's so many things that we all uh, carry, and sometimes we carry it as a burden without even really knowing it. So we've been doing this um, day-long uh, ritual for, for all of these years in order to give people just an opportunity to release some of that weight and to lighten their load a little bit and find some way of uh, connecting with some hope going forward. There, there's a lot I find so important and, and uh, meaningful in what you're saying. Uh, the thing that pops out first is um, I'm very interested in, in uh, broadening our sense of loss in our lives beyond strictly just uh, just the personal loss through death uh, and and including all the losses we experience all the time as a culture and as a people and uh, you know further or nearer but i've I've found so much that people can be deeply affected, for instance, if we take something like nine eleven uh, that exactly. deeply that, that deeply affected people here, nowhere near New York. Um, so right. I, I appreciate that you're uh, you're bringing that in this this sense of cultural loss or um, uh, uh, global loss, I guess I would say, because we are so aware of other parts of the world now. 
Well, uh, um, there, there, it goes even deeper. Um, uh, we, 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 we can enter uh, our, uh, through what, what some people have called the gates of grief, through many different gates. Uh, and another of those gates is uh, uh, our expectations that we, that we come into life with. I mean, we've only been modern people, depending on who you are or what you are, for a few hundred years. But for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, our ancestors uh, uh, lived in these mythic containers, uh, and uh, the psyche evolved. I, 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 I strongly believe that our psyches evolved over tens of thousands of years to come into the world expecting to be welcomed uh, by the culture, by the community, uh, to be held uh, by that community to be initiated, you know, and, and, and to be held especially when we encounter the inevitable losses in life. So I think, I think we come into this world absolutely expecting uh, uh, that kind of container uh, of myth and ritual and family and community. And, and part of the grief that we carry around unconsciously is, is, is having realized uh, that we don't have any of that uh, uh, container. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know, and, and that brings up the question of safety, uh, uh, which which to me is connected to that uh, that notion of the hunger for community. Um, I've been involved in men's conferences and men's work for 25 years and more, and I can tell you, one of the mo- by far, by far the most common uh, laments that I've heard among men is something like this. I know that I carry a huge amount of grief, and I haven't cried in 20 years. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I know, but I know that if I were to let it out, uh, to let it, uh, you know, come into my consciousness, it would overwhelm me. I, I, it would never stop. Uh, and, and that's such a common lament among men because they know that they have that hunger to be held in community and to be held uh, while, while they cry, and at the same time they know. Well, they have a sense that uh, that there's no place that they can go to do that. That's that's a really good place to go to break and pick that up when we when we come back because of course that's true of all of us and um, the particular ways we get socialized are quite different and and lead to some different phenomenons for sure. So, uh, listeners. You can go to my website or um, to the host page at Good Grief at Voice America, and you can get to my social media and get in touch with me there. I really enjoy hearing from you, so please let me know how you're responding to the show. And to find Barry and Maya Spector, go to barryandmayaspector.com. Be back soon. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Have you friended us on Facebook yet? 
Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones. And I've been talking with Barry and Maya Spector about their work with ritual, uh, their mythological understandings, indigenous tradition, and, and kind of how that intersects with their perception of what's going on in our world community right now. And before the break, we were just talking about... Um, the lost capacity to grieve in safety is how I might put it. And uh, Barry, you were talking about how for for men that might be even especially um, leave them especially bereft because they're not even supposed to cry at all, even alone. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you want to finish that that thought? Because I think that is something I, for instance, it's um, there are so many more women uh, in the grief field than men. So um, right. my my show is 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 very skewed in that way. I have to look extra hard for men to talk about grief, and. Um, oh. So, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in that. Not that women have an easy time, you know, because the culture is saying, uh, you know, even for women, cry for five minutes and then be the way you were before. Um, but can you talk a little more about that? Well, cry for five minutes or, or, or as most, uh, most businesses uh, uh, will tell their employees, you get... You get you, uh, three days off uh, for for, for uh, uh, if 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 you know if you lose a cl- close relative and then you're supposed to uh, come back to work and, and and be productive again. I mean, indigenous people, even even most people in other uh, developed parts of the world would would look at a policy like that with astonishment. Mm. They think are these Americans that crazy that they think they can uh, you know just uh, get over a, a tremendous. Uh, 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 trauma like that in a few days, and then and then come back to work. And and even a loss like I work with cancer a lot. Even a loss like that, where you're very very oh, yeah. ill, and you finish your treatment, and you haven't even got your head above water at all, and you're under a, a tremendous financial pressure, along with other things, to be back on. Oh. It's it's oh. uh, it's cus- it's um, culture wide for sure. Now, I would think, um, you know, when I think of the things the two of you do, reciting poetry, doing the um, Day of the Dead ritual, um, the kinds of writing you do, uh, they're all to bring awareness and expression to that part. And um, I would think poetry is in a way ready-made for that in the sense that it is 
trying to distill off usually an emotional experience, an experience of being. Um, yeah. do, do you think that's part of why poetry draws the two of you so much? Well, I think that that we um, there's a, a way in which the images in art or in poetry or in stories um, take us to some deep part of our soul. They connect us into uh, parts of ourselves that we may not have as easy access to otherwise. So, um, and one of the things that we've discovered being involved in the oral tradition is that it's a very different experience reading a poem or hearing a poem that's read rather than having one that's um, spoken, that's taken into the body. And um, we we love to do poetry learned by heart because you don't you don't want to learn a poem that you don't think is fabulous. You, know? <laughs> you only want to it's a it's a little bit of a high bar if you're going to memorize it. Huh? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And it's a whole different experience to um, to be around poetry that's recited. I have no. I'm not. Um, dissing poetry readings at all. It's just another animal. Mm-hmm. So uh, l- let me give you an example. Is, how, is that yes, okay with you, please, Shel? please, absolutely. Um, uh, I was thinking of a Mary Oliver poem. She's such a wonderful poet. And, oh, I love um, her. This one is called in Blackwater Woods, and it has to do with, with loss and grief. And um, so I'll just... Uh, See how people can connect with this. She says, Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment, and the long tapers of cattails are bursting open and floating over the blue shoulders of the pond. And every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have learned in my entire life comes down to this. The fires and the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. I, I've, I've loved that poem for quite a long time, as you can imagine. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I do hear a difference in in uh, the experience of listening to you, of course, I can't see whether you're, you know, referring to a, a piece of paper, but it doesn't feel as if you are. Uh, no, that that one's in my memory banks for sure because it, it it goes so deep. The the idea in there that um, really to live fully, you have to love fully. You have to really engage in it, and with the knowledge that. There is going to be loss. Yeah. So, um, so that's where we try to go with this uh, Day of the Dead ritual that we do is to 
acknowledge that we carry a lot of grief and if we can even begin to let let go even begin to let go of some of it it can it can be a great relief what i find is most people who um end up doing the sort of work i do for instance and you do um it it is instigated or ignited maybe is a better word by losses of one's own personal losses was that true of the two of you did something bring you to exploring this question of how to live with loss in the world and how to ritualize it and what to do with it all um well, funny you should ask <laughs> what's that funny you should ask Funny I should ask, huh? <laughs> you know, there's a, there's, I, I'll tell you a funny story. I'm doing a workshop with, with three other people. Um, it's called The Art of Saying Goodbye. And we were getting together to tell, we, we had two meetings. And the first one, one of the four said, well, really, I was just kind of drawn to hospice, it, you know, because we were asking each other, what loss brought you to this? So then we met the second time. And the same person said, I can't believe I've missed this all this year, all these years. And she named, I think it was at least 15 significant deep losses. And even though she was working with loss all the time, she hadn't kind of put her two worlds together. So I've, that, that's been a, a, a real emblematic uh, story for me. But what brought you to the work, you two? Well, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say a couple of things. Um, for a long time, uh, when I was younger and well into my 30s, uh, I had a terrible time uh, as the fall approached. And, and I don't think it was a matter of, uh, you know, not having enough light. As some, you know, and, and I, I realize that that's a legitimate uh, medical condition. But uh, as I, I would start to have colds and I would have uh, little accidents and uh, I would be in a terrible mood. And eventually, I mean, you know, an outsider would see me as depressed, especially in November. Um, and it took the longest time from, uh, as I began to understand uh, more things about myth and ritual that I was actually <clears throat> uh, dreading uh, my own uh, uh, awareness of my own dark side. And, and I was projecting that out, on, out onto the world. Mm-hmm. And then as it happened, when, when, uh, uh, after the two of us had been together for 18 years, uh, uh, approaching age 40, we, we, uh, we encountered some terrible times, and we, we actually uh, split up and divorced. And we were, we were apart for four years. And Which is a long time. 40, I mean, that would seem yeah. permanent then, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. We, we got divorced. Um, and um, uh, looking back on that time, I, I had not cried in 20 years. Uh, but once, uh, once my, my heart got cracked open by, by the loss of, of, uh, of, of our family, um, I cried every day for almost four years, um, mm. during which time I got involved in men's work and Maya got involved in women's work. And we were doing things uh, that were, <laughs> in retrospect, were, were quite similar, but were totally different uh, people and uh, populations. And uh, eventually when we came back together, 
we knew uh, it, it was not long uh, after we came back together that we began to perceive uh, that our own experience of loss in, in, in our lives had uh, deepened our souls, and uh, and and we were just naturally uh, moved to uh, to uh, do this kind of work that we've been doing after that. And after a while, we did get remarried. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad you added that because, of course, I knew it. <laughs> so that's that's quite a uh, an unusual marriage story. And not that it's unheard of, but it's quite unusual. And especially um, sometimes when I hear about people who divorce and then remarry. It's almost as if they agree to accept what they couldn't bear before. Um, but with the two of you, it sounds as if you so radically changed that the essence of w- what had connected you actually um, got more palatable or more um, bigger for you. Is that fair to say? Well, that would take many hours. <laughs> but I... I, I let, let, let me see if I can reframe uh, what you're trying to get at here. I think, for me at least, and uh, I won't, I won't try to speak for both of us, but I began to get an, a sense of uh, what what life actually uh, asks us uh, uh, when we come into the world. Uh, we come in with with a certain kind of uh, of, uh, of gift. Uh, and uh, in, in Native American terminology, that's called our original medicine, and uh, and a lot many uh, many of us discover that that gift is uh, is very close to the wounds that we also come into the world with, uh, and that and that the work of, of soul the soul work uh, uh, is uh, is is all about. Uh, uh, not uh, not he- not denying those wounds, uh, but uh, seeing how uh, they connect us to the gifts that we have to give to the world, and and that the community uh, uh, is is is, is uh, or at least in the in the indigenous traditional sense, the community is 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 as desperate for us to give our gifts as uh, as we are to be held by that community. That's a very nice reframe, and uh, what I what I think I notice, um, having fortunately met the two of you in person, which I often cannot do because of distance. Um, you, there's a sense of each of you. I don't know you well, obviously, but um, each of you believing that your relationship is best served by each of you being wholly who you can be uh, oh absolutely absolutely so that's yeah, a whole different those are different terms aren't they yeah then, i think we both we both grew a lot in their separation and uh became um through the grief of the loss of the relationship had to really come to terms with who we each individually were and what our um what what was meaningful for us to do in the world. And so, um, fortunately, coming back together, there was a lot that coincided between uh, where Barry had gone when he was by himself and, and where my interests were taking me. And so uh, we've been, we have been, as I said before, very fortunate. 
that way. And it was not that long after we started um, getting interested and started doing the grief rituals that we lost all four of our parents. We lost all four of our parents within a two-year period. So we had a, a lot of, um, of, of grief in our own lives apart from the divorce. Um, and that was also a big part of our moving forward with these rituals as well. Well, yes, and of course, if we live long enough, we do face that. Um, but it, it's it's pretty profound to face it four times in two years. That's uh, that's that's a lot. So I, I let's let's pick that up when we. Um, you know, when we come back from our break, because that, uh, that um, you know, that idea of trial by fire or Phoenix, you know, um, is so, uh, I, that's in the back of the, my, my mind every week when I, when I talk with my guests, because it's, um, it does deepen our understanding, doesn't it, of what it is to lose. So you Absolutely. were, yeah. So, uh Listeners out there, take the take the time during the break to go find us, both me and my guests online. You can find me at my website, weatheringgrief.com or on the Good Grief host page. And to find Barry and Maya Spector, you can go to barryandmayaspector.com. Back after the break. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Barry and Maya Spector, authors, experts in ritual who conduct a yearly Day of the Dead ritual in the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, we were we were talking before the break about you having uh, had 
some training with uh, Maladoma Somme and Tsubomfu Somme, who I have also uh, spent a little bit of time with, quite incredible um, healers and teachers. Um, and that, in a way, the, the loss of your marriage led you to really explore grief. But then after that, um, you... You lost all four of your parents in a two-year period. Did I really get that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you did. What was that period of time like, and how does that intersect now with this this uh, ritual you've been conducting for so long? It was kind of a whirlwind. I mean, it was one right after the other. My parents died four months apart in the same year, wow. and... Uh, of course, and they were on the East Coast, and us here in California, of course, that was challenging. Um, and, of course, you know, it's never easy to lose your parents. No, um, no. Changes the world. Um, it does. Actually, you know, I could, um, I could throw in another poem here that I, I, I wrote. This is one of my own poems. I wrote a year after their, um, their deaths. Um, it's a short poem, and it goes like this. I think of them lying together in their earth beds, side by side in the heavy darkness that does not lift even on the brightest day. What fluids stain the once pristine satin? How much flesh is left on the bones? Has he rotted more than she has four months longer into death? yet larger and thicker in composition. What I really want to know is where they are, not the putrefying corpses, but them. Is it only their bodies that rest together? Every morning, I greet their smiling images robed in black tuxedo and sequins. They do not visit me in dreams, nor haunt my house. I wonder, did I say thank you enough? There's no one on the other end of the phone, but I reach for it still. And I, I've had a number of people tell me that 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 same thing: how uh, you have the thought to reach for the phone and then realize. <laughs> you know that really not that really. Uh, I just passed a year since my mother died. My dad died uh, in two thousand nine. And um, I'm a, I'm a very re- I have a very low denial quotient when it comes to death, um, having you know been close to it, um, right. the, the intimately involved in someone dying, and so I I really wasn't uh, thinking that would happen to me, you know that I would reach for the phone. It has so happened so many times. And it yeah, isn't I, it isn't a failure to recognize that she's dead. It's it's something else, you know. And uh, really, quite a stunning. I had, of course, heard people say that many, many times, but it's a stunning experience. It is. Yeah, it really well, is. That, that makes a real segue into what we uh, what you wanted to talk about this notion of communicating with with those who have who have gone. Uh, you know, in, in the in the Mexican tradition, and and again, it's uh, it's a tradition found all across the world. 
uh, in these in these periods when uh, uh, when the veil between the world is thin, as they say, the dead come back to visit. You know, it's almost as if they're reaching for the phone. <laughs> yes, and, uh, yes, yes. And 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 there are some there are some fascinating. Uh, 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 ideas here, that they come back to be fed. You know, one of the big parts of uh, Dia de los Muertos is, is the, the preparation of food for the dead. Uh, and it's usually food that they loved when they were living. Uh, but below the literal sense of the dead coming back and eating food is something uh, much more profound. Uh, and we learned this one from another indigenous teacher, this idea from uh, Martin Prechtel, who uh, was a shaman in uh, Guatemala. Uh, he said, uh, the dead come back and they want, they want two things. They want uh, beauty and they want your tears. Uh, and especially if, if they're the recently dead uh, who have not made it completely over to the other side, they, they absolutely require... Uh, the tears and, and the crying uh, of the living in order to help uh, push them all the way across to the other side. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and in, in effect, in effect can happen if yeah, then they become true ancestors. And in, and in the indigenous world, uh, the, true, the real ancestors can be of help uh, to, to those of us on this side of the veil. But if, if they don't receive enough tears from the living, uh, and they come back, and um, uh, they will they will eat uh, our lives. They'll eat our emotions and our souls, and uh, uh, and they'll create havoc uh, in, uh, with uh, crime and drug addiction and and all kinds of all kinds of things like that. So this notion of the dead coming back to be fed, uh, uh, you know, we can look at on, on on multiple levels. But really, what what it's about is our showing our own deepest uh, souls uh, to them. That's what they want to see. It's not just the uh, literal food that they want. Right. Well, the other thing that that I uh, am appreciating in what you're saying, Barry, is that uh, there's a way in which uh, sometimes there's an expressed contradiction between grieving, you know, between um, mourning the loss and connecting with our ancestors, and to me, they have always, uh, you know, since since I had the own, my own experience of losing my wife, they've always been two parts of the same whole. That if yeah, we I mourn, know. if we mourn what we've lost, we're also more present to what we have. Yeah. Uh, I think that's absolutely true. It is a part of the frustration I have at at what. Uh, memorials and funerals I have gone to is how little evidence of, of real grief is, um, is seen or, or, or kind of even allowed. You know, they're all very civilized, um, kinds of services in, in which, you know, it's okay to maybe have a few tears, but you don't see great outpourings of grief often. And I find that unfortunate that, um, you know, we're supposed to stash it away or do it in our own privacy of our own bedroom or some such thing that um, I guess what I'm yes. saying is when we do our Day of the Dead ritual, what we're trying to do is give people a place that if they need to weep, they weep, and if they need to, um, if, if they need to uh, 
make sounds, they make sounds. I mean, everything is... And if they need to make jokes, they can make jokes. I yes. mean, it's all part of life, and um, and the community needs to be there for that to hold it. So Yes, I agree. Um, I, do, I do need to put in a word, though, because I'm in a gospel choir, and um, we... We do the music for a lot of um, memorials, funerals, etc., and they can be quite raucous. So there's a little uh, my my musical director. We we sang at Cathedral Delight last week, and he was saying, "Okay, you got to get up and dance because it was for a funeral ho- uh, a funeral home their 100th anniversary this event." He said, "You've got to get up and dance because we get danced in and we get danced out." So, <laughs> you know, there are some there are some differences of course. I grew up with the tradition you're talking about, the the very quiet, don't show any feeling kind of tradition and and that is mighty. And it's great well, when you know, the other exists. I think about New Orleans with the jazz funerals when they, you know, with the second line, you know, where the band plays the mournful music when they go to the cemetery. And then when they leave the cemetery, you know, the music is just uplifting and people are dancing all the way back. So, you know, the traditions that still have some of that to it are much closer to what I personally would like to see. Uh-huh. Yeah, more... Uh... Well, there's, there's, Go I ahead, Barry. Uh, there's, 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 you know, we've had 400 years of, of Protestant uh, 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 restraint uh, in our emotions uh, in this con- on this continent, and but there are, there are, there have been changes. Uh, there have been cracks in what I call uh, developing in what I call the myth of American innocence, and, and, those are uh, those cracks in the myth are coming as gifts from people uh, uh, who are, are, are third world people and poor people. I mean, uh, the, the gospel choir that you're talking about, of course, are coming out of the African American tradition, and and the New Orleans funerals uh, are, are coming out of uh, similar third world uh, uh, places, and. There, there are great gifts that the indigenous uh, uh, and the downtrodden of the earth, so to speak, are offering to us if we're willing to uh, to open our eyes and our hearts and our ears. And so I get the impression here in terms of your own um, created, uh, created ritual, your yearly uh, Day of the Dead, that you would... At a, at a very basic level, be inviting expression of emotion, not just feeling of emotion. Oh, absolutely. We, what we do is we spend a full day together, and in the early part of the day, we use um, stories and poetry and music and, um, and calling out the names of of those we have lost this year, and meeting in small groups so that people can tell their own story of why they're there. It's very important. So all of that in the morning is to really get people to drop down into their feeling and, and, and where they're coming from and to be able to share a little bit. And then in the afternoon, what we're doing is a, um, a kind of ritual, a water or grief ritual that we learned from Naladoma and Subafu 
um, in which there is an opportunity for people. We do a lot of uh, drumming and chanting and high energy on one end of the room and then uh, a beautifully decorated water shrine at the other end of the room where people can go and and um, and and grieve it or express whatever feeling they're feeling. So it's a, it's a long uh, day. It's a full day, but it's um, what we've had people tell us mostly is that when they leave at the end of it, they feel so much lighter, and and that there's been a real deep sharing. Hmm. And I think I think. Um... You know, I've been thinking a lot because of this workshop I'm about to do. I'm doing the music section. So I've been thinking a lot about how it's, if you're singing deeply, if you're, if you're using your lungs, it's really hard to hold back feeling. Um, (laughs) so I could imagine that's a part of it too, that, you know, vocalization in itself, if you're using your lungs, it's kind of, it will invite those, those deeper, emotional experiences in a way. Do you yeah. find that? And, and, it, and, it, and it has to be done in community. Yes. It yes. has to happen in community. I mean, uh, when indigenous people can, uh, hear of Americans saying, I just need to be alone with my grief, I just need to retreat, uh, and uh, uh, they're, they're astonished because... Uh, uh, to to uh, to people like that, uh, the community is everything, and uh, the notion of of, of uh, grieving alone and silently is just completely incomprehensible. And so, uh, and, and but at the same time, it's like I said earlier in the hour. Most of us kind of understand intuitively that we don't really have much opportunity to have a safe container for that, and so that's one of the reasons why why we 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 hold down the grief. But uh, so, and, and we re- and we know that uh, community is a very fleeting thing these days. Uh, we can't really; most of us don't have uh, uh, a real community to be uh, to be held in. But we, what we can do is come together uh, from time to time in what some people have called sudden community, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and that's why it's so important for us to build the container so that people can feel safe enough to enter that container and to, uh, and to acknowledge uh, the heavy load that they're carrying. And, and once they do, uh, uh, it, it's so much easier. Uh, once they enter that, that safe container, it's so much easier to do that. And, what, and what, one of the aspects of that uh, happens in this, uh, in this water ritual where people are going to the shrine. Uh, what's happening is individual people are going up to the shrine, but the entire community is chanting and dancing and drumming behind them and literally pushing them with our energy toward the shrine. And, and they can feel pulled by the shrine and pushed by the community. And when they're finished weeping at the shrine, no matter how long they have to take, when they finally get up and turn around and head back toward the rest of us, uh, everybody envelops them in great big hugs and, and welcomes them back because uh, we, we, we all need to, uh, to, uh, to uh, for the community to mirror back to us what a profound, uh, risk, uh, risky thing we've done. Uh, and uh, to be welcomed back into the community is, is, is just as big a part of the, of the ritual uh, as any other part. Yeah, thank you for that's, that, Barry, that's, that really that's such important. a We're, we're going to have to actually say goodbye for the day. I, I feel like we could spend another hour talking about which rich, um, uh, 
inclusion and community and what that does in terms of witness. But <laughs> I want to thank you so much for being with here with me today. And I hope people will go um, look at your work, not just the ritual, because they may be too far away to participate in that, but uh, your books and the other things that you do. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Um, Next week, I'm going to welcome Karen Wyatt, MD. Karen's the author of What Really Matters Seven Lessons for Living from the Stories of the Dying. And she's also the host of End of Life University, guests every week that are wonderful. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.